What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Ballhawk Talk. Like always, I'm your host, Adam Boys, joined along here with Liam and Ben. How's it going today, lads? It's going well. Uh, ready to get into a nice pod today. Uh, beautiful day outside, so let's get it going. Yeah, I'm not doing too bad, boys. Uh, like mentioned, beautiful day outside. I'm feeling great. I uh, got my research done for this pod, so I'm pretty feeling pretty confident to... Uh, I don't screw up that many times. Hopefully, BMAC doesn't uh correct me too many times this epi we'll see but yeah i'm excited for this convo and uh, let's get into it yeah so before we get into our main discussion there's uh some pretty big news in the nfl this week next week free agency starting but before we get into that jj Watt has signed a two-year 31 million dollar deal with the arizona cardinals what are your initial thoughts on this boys yeah it's pretty it's slightly old news we're a little late to the bus on this one but uh yeah, good signing for them. He may be getting a little overpaid at this point in his career. I don't think he's that elite, elite edge rusher that he used to be, but still obviously one of the best players in the NFL, and hopefully he can help that uh, Arizona Cardinals team out. Yeah, definitely. I know the consensus among the, the pros is the best way to utilize J.J. Watt is to kind of have him come off the bench and only utilize him in certain situations. So, like, have him playing, like, 50% of snaps, yeah. which is solid. But when you're paying a guy, what's he getting, 16 mil a year? Yeah, 15 and a half. 15 and a half mil a year. So so that's a pretty penny. Um, another thing that, that kind of jumps out to me is in the past six seasons, he's only played 16 games twice. So he's injury prone. And both those seasons that he's played 16 games, the next year he got injured. And one of those years was last year. So is he due for injury? I don't know. He, he's decently injury prone. Um, love JJ. Well, I can't say enough good things about the human being, but in terms of football, I think he's overpaid. Um, but if you're, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, what else are you going to do? Right. He's also, he's also going to get Chandler Jones opposite of him this year where yeah. the past couple years, once Jadavian Clowney left, like he hasn't had that many guys to take the attention away from him on that line. So hopefully you know, you get a Chandler Jones and offensive lines aren't paying as much attention as they would to J.J. Watt, and hopefully he can get free a little more now. Yeah, and he was asked to do so much in Houston, too. He's asked to be a three-down player, do everything on that defense. So now I think in Arizona, he's going to be able to utilize him in third-down snaps and just as a primary pass rusher instead of using extra effort that he doesn't need to on first and second down. I know that's a lot of money to pay for that player, but you're in a division with a lot of good quarterbacks, a lot of good edge rushers. They, ha- they have to go make a splash, and it's worth the risk with J.J. Watts probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer when it's all over. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, um, so yeah, so free agency starts next week. Uh, it's going to be a crazy free agency, in my opinion. You've seen how the cap went down and all the crazy cuts being made. Some notable cuts are the Chiefs just cut both tackles, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. The Dolphins cut Kyle Van Noy. So a lot of veterans are going to be cut given this cap hit. So you're going to see a lot of new blood that's entering the free agency probably this weekend and starting next week as well yeah you're seeing a lot of the restructuring of deals too um adding void years to the con to different contracts what i mean by that is pretty much adding dummy years to the contract so the signing bonus gets kicked down to those years and really you get a cap penalty when it's done uh but you, you can kick the can kind of down the road with the cap penalty by doing that. Uh, you see Tom Brady doing that. Uh, the Saints are going to have to do a lot of that if they want to keep some of their players. Uh, but again, it has to, you have to convince the players to do that. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, this is absolutely wild and something I don't think we'll ever see again in our entire lives. Like this is an off season that will 
changed several teams. Um, one thing I find interesting is when you look at most positions, right? So offensive linemen normally get overpaid. Um, for example, take 2017 offseason. You have average offensive linemen come to free agency and they get paid really, really well by the teams to, to, to start on the roster. Um, but now you're seeing a lot of these offensive linemen get cut. Like I, I have an, uh, a list right here in front of me of just really good offensive linemen available on free agency. So Russell Okung, Kung. Okung, Trent Williams, Eric Fisher, Riley Reef, um, Villanueva, Joe Thune, um, For- Forrest Lamp, Maurice, uh, Maurice Ponce. Corey, Corey Lindsay's in there as well. He's probably the best center in football. Corey Lindsay. Um, Trent Brown just got traded for a bag of peanuts, who I arguably think is the best right guard in the entire NFL. Mitchell Schwartz is arguably the best right tackle in the NFL. Ricky Wagner, Trey Turner just got cut. So, man, w- one thing is you're going to see a lot of these teams, for example, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Jets, the um, New England Patriots, who have such big cap room, they're going to be able to switch around their entire franchise overnight almost. Yeah, a lot. I think a lot of these young teams with young quarterbacks are gonna take advantage of this and protect you guys like Herbert Burrow, maybe a two. Although they they did just make that trade last week, uh, so maybe they don't need to. But but all these yeah. teams with lots of cap space with young quarterbacks, it'd be smart to protect them. Yeah, um, yeah, like you said, the Dolphins. I don't think they're gonna go in this tackle group. I can see them getting Corey Lindsay. That's the only really need is a center, but. This is my steal for agency. I know we didn't really prep for this, but here's a name that I think is going to be the biggest steal. Who's going to have a lower contract because of the talent, the wide receiver position. That's Curtis Samuel. Some teams are going to sign him to a lower deal. And I think Curtis Samuel is going to be the biggest steal of free agency. Interesting. I, I like Curtis Samuel. I, I think it was good. He never really popped on the Carolina Panthers, but he, he can play. He can play downfield. Um, solid wide receiver, good separation speed. So. Yeah, I found the draft because the draft when they took Curtis Samuel, they took McCaffrey in the first round and then Samuel in the second round. It was kind of weird to me because they're not the most similar players, but they play kind of a little bit of a similar role where Samuel coming out, like he played a lot of running back in college, but he was also kind of a wide receiver. Uh, And that's somewhat what Christian McCaffrey did. A lot of those low average depth of target throws and little weird things in the backfield. Uh, so, so they kind of played a little bit of a similar role, which I don't know that that was great for Samuel's development. So hopefully you get him on a different team and he can play more of that gadget role and, and be a good signing. One, uh, one thing if, if we're going to talk about kind of off the script stuff, um, I think the Jaguars might become Super Bowl contenders in two years. Mm-hmm. If they spend their cap precise, like, right. Okay. Okay. Hypothetically, right. Let's say they pick up, Let's say they pick up um, Mitchell Schwartz, Trey Turner, and Joe and Riley Reef. Okay, before you know it, that offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. Then they have Lawrence. They have a good running back. Their defense has been being built through the draft. They have two draft picks this year. They had two draft picks last year, so they can become like solid extremely quickly. What are your thoughts on that? I don't. I- I think they can be good. I don't think Super Bowl contenders is the way to put it. A lot of those offensive linemen are a bit older. So in two years, we don't know what their talent level is going to be like. So it's a lot of question marks. It's They have a lot of talent defense. They have Josh Allen. They have Kalen Chase on. They have CJ Anderson. If those draft picks hit and they become all pros, I could see it. But it's hard to make that aspect with a rookie QB and Trevor Lawrence coming in and the uncertainty of these like free agent signings in the future. Yeah, and if Lawrence comes in and he's – immediately a top five quarterback in the league yeah. like 
they're going to be Super Bowl contenders probably anyways. Like, yeah. Uh, but I would be quite wary of trying to build my team through free agency. That's how you end up overpaying a lot of guys. Now, the season might be different because players are going to be forced to take discount deals. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, so uh, we can get into this another episode, more in-depth free agency, but we're going to go on to our main discussions of the episode. We have two main discussions. So our first one, we're going to have a debate. So the question is, would you rather have a great D-line and an amazing safety or an amazing linebacker, good linebacker, and amazing corner? And our second conversation, we'll be putting ourselves in the position of GMs in the NFL, and we will discuss if we could hire anyone at the NFL college level who would be our head coach, OC, and DC. So without further ado, let's get going on the first discussion. Willie, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, first discussion. So I actually made this uh, question up when I was watching uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and I was asked uh, my buddy Con about this. It's a good question, right? It, it kind of challenges your philosophy as, as um, a team builder. How would you construct your roster? When I think of a great defensive line, you know, I, I think of the Pittsburgh Steelers and I think of an amazing safety um, in Micah Fitzpatrick. So that's kind of how, uh, how I was thinking there. Um, personally, I choose the amazing linebacker, good linebacker, and an amazing cornerback. The reason this is, I know BMAX rolling his eyes over here. He doesn't value linebackers, but I, I fucking love linebackers. Um, I think they can be utilized to stop the run. Um, you see a guy like like uh, Wagner on, on the Seattle Seahawks, and he's an absolute beast in there. And I think of um, KJ Wright as well, who, who's good in coverage. So that's when I kind of picture an amazing linebacker and a good linebacker and when you have a good corner right so let's say you're playing against a hopkins or let's say you're playing against an adams when you have an amazing corner that can lock these guys down take them out of the game it definitely shortens the playbook for the opposing team right so so now you have your number one wide receiver can't really make too many plays with you have to develop a new style new plays to, to score in the end zone so that's that's what i do what about you boys uh that was kind of stupid but uh <laughs> If, like, if you're going to have one position group be good on an NFL defense, you're telling D-line. me it's not going to be D-line. If you're going to build a dominant defense, it's going to be yeah. because of your D-line. Almost I, always. Almost yeah. always. Like, look at the 49ers, the Steelers this year. Bucks. All these, his, the, yeah, exactly. The Bucks. Like, all these teams have great D-lines. Now, it is important to have good linebackers and good cornerbacks, but I think the D line is just more important. Like you see this Washington football team that everyone loves and thinks this is going to be a great defense. It's because of that D line. The D line can affect the run game, affect the pass game where you have these cornerbacks and linebackers. Now linebackers can affect the pass game, but you can't just throw a linebacker on a number one, on a number one wide receiver or anything. You can, with the D line, you can rush the passer and make sure that they can't get to that number one receiver. But, I don't know. That's just my philosophy. I, I value the D-line the most of any defensive position. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was kind of debating this quite a bit, but like BMAC, I'm going with a great D-line and a great safety as well. Um, I love cornerbacks. I think it's essential to have a number one lockdown corner. But if you have no pass rush, it will provide no dividends that number two corner who's going to get burned. Because if you cannot get pressure on the quarterback, you're just going to have someone sitting in the pocket all day. doesn't matter how talented your cornerbacks are they're going to get open eventually with an NFL receiver. Um, so I took a deep dive in advanced analytics for this. So I looked at defensive analytics and I looked at team pressure percentage. So basically what that means is the percentage of the time a QB gets sacked, hurried, or knocked down in the game. So I'm, I'm going to go through the top five in the NFL and the top in the bottom five according to last season. So number one for pressure percentage with the Steelers at 35.1%. 
Pretty Bucks, good defense. Number two, Bucks at 27.5%. Number three, Ravens at 26.8%. Number four, Saints at 26.8%. And number five, the Washington football team at 26.4%. Then we look at the bottom five. The Lions, 32nd in the league, 17.5%. The Titans, 17.6%. The Bengals, 19 The Vikings, 196 And the Jags at 20.1%. And then we're going to look at yards per game with those defenses. So we have the Steelers, who, who I said is number one. Number three defense according to yards in the league. Bucks are number five. Ravens are number six. Saints are number four. And football teams number two. Then we look at the bottom five. The Lions are at number 32. Titans are at number 28. Bengals are at number 26. Vikings are at number 27. And Jags are at number 31. So just look at that. It shows the importance of what a pass rush can do. And it shows how it can translate a defense. Yeah, I'm also a big believer in that corner as a weak link position. I mentioned this uh a couple episodes ago where offenses are going to attack your worst corner. If you have a good corner, they're just not like you have a Jalen Ramsey. They're probably not going to throw them, which is a huge advantage. Don't get me wrong. If you can have a Jalen Ramsey and then throw more coverage uh, to the other side of the field. But I think it's a weak link position and I would rather have depth at that position than just one great guy. Question for you guys. So let's say you had a number one corner from say Jalen Ramsey are you and, and you were the head coach would you keep jalen ramsey on one side or would you have him shadow one receiver um throughout the entire game shadow i I'd mean have a, i'd have him shadow too probably. it also depends on those receivers i mean if there's not a number consolidated number one receiver i'd say keep him on the side but if you're playing a Devonte adams a deandre hopkins you pay this jalen ramsey a shit ton of money you put him on him the whole game and hopefully he shuts him down because if he gets, if say DeAndre Hopkins or Vontae Adams gets on their number two cornerback on that team, they're just going to abuse it and probably result in a big play. Yeah, 100% agree. Like there are situations where I would put them on one side, certain teams. Um, but most of the time, you, you put them on the number one receiver and say, lock them down. Just don't let them get anything. Yeah. Well, one thing I, 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 about the whole weakling thing is I, I kind of think back to Bill, Bill Belichick's philosophies as he makes his teams, right? So when he plays in the in the playoffs, they kind of take away the opposing team's best, uh, what, whatever the opposing team does best. And a lot of the times, let's say they're, they're playing a number one wide receiver. If you have a number one corner, you're allowed to kind of take that take that option away from them. My only thing is is it with the two uh, great linebackers and, and the good and the amazing cornerback is I think it allows your team to kind of um, – take away more options in the opposing team's playbook uh, other than the defensive line. But, but don't get me wrong. Like defensive line is absolutely critical. Um, how important is to you guys scheme in defensive line play? Like, for important. example, doing stunts, all this stuff. Like, do you think that you can have a good, a good offensive line? For example, sorry, a defensive line. Um, Let's say the Saints. They don't have a great defensive line. They do pretty have good though. They're all Trey, Trey, Trey Hendrickson, Cam Jordan. Like Cam Jordan's one of the best DNs in the league. Absolutely. Sheldon Rankins isn't a slouch either at D tackle. No, no, not at all. Phenomenal defensive line. But do you think it's possible to have a really good offensive, uh, sorry, defensive line, and with through schematic schemes, uh, can make them great? Yep. I yeah, for, for sure. Um, like yeah, go ahead, BMAC. No, it, it can be hard to get those guys. Um, like your Robert Sala. I'm trying to think of other Flores. Flo- yeah, shut Flores. up. Well, I mean, look look at the Dolphins' defensive line. They're top five in sacks this year, and their best defensive end was Emmanuel Ogba. That just shows 
stunts, blitz packages. Like, look at that. I'll put an example for the Rams game. They had five sacks and Jared Goff and forced four turnovers. And it was because Emmanuel Ogba got free on the rusher like three times a game. So if you can provide stunts and confuse the offensive line, you're going to have free rushers eventually and get your pressure and get your looks on the quarterback and force turnovers. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. So, so sorry, sorry. Yeah. My, my friend, uh, Alexander Zagarek just uh, <laughs> gave me a phone call. So I was uh, busy with that, but okay. So, so then the other point is, do you think through schematically you can have linebackers play better? I think for any position you can have a player play better if you put him in the right positions. Like any any position, offense, defense, if you put the player in a position to succeed, they're more than likely going to do good. Like it's really not that hard. You got to put like think of Carson Wentz this year. He was not put in a position to succeed. They did not do things that Carson Wentz was good at. They tried to put him in the pocket and tried to get him to throw accurately. He's not an accurate passer. You get him on the outside, though, running play action. He's going to be very good. He can be a really good quarterback. Like, look back to 2017. And that's why I actually kind of like that Colt signing because I think Frank Reich will put Carson Wentz in a position to succeed. But that goes to any position on the football field. If you get the player to do things that they're good at, they're going to succeed. Well said. Very well said. <laughs> That's really right. not even football, anything. If you put anyone in it, doing things they're good at, they're going to succeed. Well, that, that kind of transitioned us to our next conversation with the whole head coach thing, because you definitely see, like, I didn't understand Stan Doug Peterson. Like, okay, so one thing I believe in is having constant communication with players in your team, whether you're a general manager or head coach. And you saw these reports come out that Doug Peterson hasn't talked to Carson Wentz in two months. And it's like, man, that's your starting QB. Like, your job is reliant on this guy. So how are you not communicating, hey, what plays do you like to do? What systems do you like to run? Let's incorporate this in the game plan. And I think all phenomenal head coaches do this. Yeah, 100%. Um, so that we can transition to our head coaching discussion. So like I said before, we were going to be put in the position as GMs and discuss which head coach we would hire, which OC we would hire, and which DC we hired. And they can be any coach in the NFL, any coach at the college level, or high school, why not, if you if you found a coach in the high school level that you like. But anyways, BMAC, why don't you uh, kind of take us off with your head coach? Well, if you think I'm fucking scouting high school coach, you <laughs> give me way too much fucking credit. Um, even college, I don't have a single college coach on this. I just took uh, my favorite head coaches, offensive coordinators, and defensive coordinators from the NFL. Um, but I'll start it off with head coach, my favorite head coach in the league, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, now, I am a big believer that your head coach has to be a good motivator. I don't know I don't know that he's the best like motivator in the league, but his scheme is just so good and can create a good offense that I, I think that's the most important thing you can have. And you're not going to get an offensive coordinator that has a scheme like Kyle Shanahan. Like no one that good at creating a scheme is not a head coach. Now, there are some guys coming up that we're going to talk about a little later, uh, but Kyle Shanahan, like I think if you have a guy that's going to create holes with his running schemes, blocking schemes, it's just such an advantage for a team to have. Well, if you're a general manager and you're trying to create a team against the cap, right? Like having a Kyle Shanahan's brilliant because like he it doesn't count against the cap. Like it's you pay him whatever you want and he's going to get you a good offense pretty much but he's also gonna have like random players who don't get paid that much be awesome and th th that's my favorite thing like look at raheem Mont Mont monstert he, he turned that guy into an absolute beast every single running back that has played in his scheme has been phenomenal and it's yeah. it's fucked like 
every single running back. You just they run like five the street, <laughs> and they're running for over five yards of carry. Yeah. Like they run five running backs. Like they just put out like Breida was in there. Jamichael Hasty was an undrafted. Yeah, Jamichael Hasty. Like having Coleman, um, Jared McKinnon. They run like five running backs. Doesn't matter who's in there. They're gonna get yards, and they get every San Francisco 49ers running back gets fancy points if you pick him up in fancy football. Yeah. So, so the next kind of head coach I have there is Andy Reid. Um, of course, he's one of the best in the NFL. Uh, no one can take down a cheeseburger like him. Uh, but again, it's kind of like Shanahan. Like he creates space for his players. He through his scheme, he'll create space for his wide receivers and his running backs. And a big thing for me is is I I was into dynasty fantasy football where you keep your players year to year. Um, so Mahomes wasn't my highest rated quarterback going into the draft. But once he got drafted by the Chiefs, he was by far my favorite quarterback um, from that draft. And I thought he was going to succeed just because he had Andy Reid to teach him how to play football. Um, and I just believe so much that Andy Reid is one of the best head coaches in the league. Maybe not underrated anymore now that he's got his Super Bowl, but he was criminally underrated for years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Willie, why don't you uh, give us our head coach and we'll move on to OC and DC once we all go around. Absolutely. Can't, just can't say enough good things about Andy Reid. Absolutely love him. Like one, one thing about him that I absolutely love is he's always trying to be innovative. He's taking concepts from like 1950s football, just like <laughs> applying them into his into his team, and it's just absolutely brilliant, man. Um, for my head coach, I had a short list of um, and and, and I went through it. I, I I value a coach that's a leader of men just as you. And, and one thing that I was kind of going through some of the coaches is I want to coach like, okay. So when we talked about Robert Sala and the whole Robert Sala hire, one thing I said to, on this podcast was watch. Okay. Let's just wait until he plays against a, a mastermind head coach. Can he play chess? We know he can lead his team, but can he play chess? So I kind of wanted a mix of the both. So some of my favorite head coaches currently in the NFL is Mike Tomlin. What he did last year, I'm talking 2019, 2020. No, 2018, 2019 um, with the Pittsburgh Steelers was absolutely brilliant without Big Ben. Kyle Shanahan. I like Mike Rabel a lot, uh, but the head coach I'm going out, I'm, I'm picking for my, my team as a general manager is my favorite head coach, the best head coach ever to live, Bill Belichick. Um, he, he's, you know, the resume speaks for itself. He, he's an absolute mastermind. His, his dad, um, I believe is for Navy. I think it was for Navy. Sorry, sorry, whoever's fact checking me, um, was was a head coach, was an offensive coordinator for or defensive coordinator. Sorry, for a very long time. Get it on here. Yeah, like, my, yeah well, my you're apologies. struggling, man. His, his, his so long story short, his dad's an absolute genius head coach, um, and, and so is Bill. He's he's a leader of men. He's a mastermind. But one of the biggest things is when I was kind of thinking about picking a head coach is Bill Belichick's going to bring Ernie Adams. And do you guys know who Ernie Adams is? I have no fucking no idea. <laughs> okay, so Ernie Adams is currently the football research director of the New England Patriots. He has six Super Bowls. So I'll give you kind of a backstory to the listeners of Ernie Adams. So as a kid growing up, uh, Bill Belichick, you know, loved football. And his dad wrote a book on scouting. So when Bill Belichick moved to the school, he met this guy named Ernie, Ernie Adams. And Ernie Adams was kind of like a fanboy of Bill Belichick's dad. So when he first met Bill, he's, oh my gosh, you, you, you're his son. I've read your dad's book 10 times and they've developed this friendship. Ernie Adams is arguably the smartest football mind in all of football. 
he is, he works for the Patriots. He's Bill Belichick's best friend. And he's one of the reasons why the Patriots were so dominant for as long as they were. Um, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I'm guessing he, he wants it like that. Clearly you guys don't know who he is and, and you guys are one of the smartest football guys I know. So Ernie Adams is an absolute genius. And if I can get Bill Belichick and Ernie on my team, I take that 10 times out of 10. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with Bill Belichick. He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach of all time. Um, yeah, he was on my short list. There's a lot of people, so many good head coaches in the NFL, but I took a different approach. My decision criteria is basically, I'm going to pick a head coach who can implement a scheme, but doesn't necessarily have to play call. And he's going to be a strong culture coach to help lead not only his team, but the organization as a whole. And I'm going to lead the X's and O's and play calling to my coordinators. That being said, if I'm a GM, might be biased, but I'm picking Brian Flores to lead my franchise. What Brian Flores did in this first year with Miami was astonishing. It was arguably the worst constructed football roster ever. They traded Mika Fitzpatrick. They just complete teardown. And he led that team to five wins, beating the Patriots in week 17, which ultimately ended the dynasty of Tom Brady. That was the last game Tom Brady played as a Patriot in the regular season. So what he can do with his players, he turned Miami this year into a number five defense in the league. And players love playing for him. And he can implement a defensive scheme like Bill Belichick's team in team in the new England it's going to be his defensive scheme and seeing what he can do and then players love playing from so here's a quote that I was laughing when I saw it so Dolphins defensive coordinator Christian Wilkins said I would die out there for coach flow so it just shows how much his players respect him that his players will do anything to win for him so I'm going to leave the X and O's to play calling but if went Brian Flores to lead my franchise yeah 100% agree like I, I want a head coach whose players want to kill for him that's why I really like the Robert Sala hiring. Like you see him on the field, how passionate he is. Like players just want to kill for him. Again, Mike Vrabel, who Willie just mentioned, another guy. You hear interviews with this guy and his players love him. Um, so yeah, I 100% agree with Brian, Brian Flores. I think he's a leader of men and that's what makes him a great head coach. Yeah, one of the interesting things you see in football history is that the Bill Belichick tree of coaches is not very successful. You know, Bill O'Brien's probably the, one of the worst people in football <laughs> i don't know that he's the worst head coach but he's the yeah. worst fucking general manager he, he was a fine he was fine as a head coach but he did not know like what the fuck he was doing as a general manager bill bill o'brien i'm pretty sure but, mike Vrabel is from the patriots coaching tree right he, he yeah. was he, he he actually played he was a linebacker he played yeah. under um belichick as a player but yeah and and, and brian is has kind of stepped up and, and people weren't too sure how he's gonna do and He's done an amazing job. He, he's developed, you know, the, the Miami Dolphins into a top-tier team. Um, I think his offensive schemes are, are phenomenal. I th- who, who is their offensive coordinator? Sorry, sorry, I know it's kind of sidetracked. Chan, Chan goddamn Gailey. Gailey. He was the worst offensive court. I Like, he sucks. Like, uh, he has, like, a 1950 scheme offense, and he just doesn't know how to move the ball. His play calling just doesn't put his players in the right position. It's a, It was a good good offense for Brian Fitzpatrick because he played with – uh, Gailey for five, 10 years, whatever it was in New York. But for a rookie QB like to it, it was just a terrible offense because it just didn't put him in positions to succeed. But yeah, I hate Chan Gailey. I'm so happy he fought, they fired him. I, I won't knock him too much because they did not have all that much talent yeah. in that offense this year. So that's another huge thing. Like good talent can make an offensive coordinator, look good. coordinator look really good uh, when it's more the talent, but he, he didn't have much that there in terms of talent so i won't knock him too much i like it i like it a lot all right any other names you have or do you want to move uh, on to no i i basically just picked 
basically just picked one person for each. Uh, I had a short list, but I'll just discuss about one for my part. But yeah, you can move on to, we'll, we'll start with uh, DC. Um, so BMAC, why don't you give us who your DC would be? Well, if we're able to choose from head coaches, I would take Robert Sala, but I'm not going to play it that way. So I'm going to go Matt Eberflus uh, from the Colts. He turned around this defense that was ranked 30th in 2017. And now since then, they've been in the top 10 every single year. Uh, he's been one of the main reasons why this, this is a really young defense where they had lots of guys drafted and he helped develop all those players, which again is something I think is really important as not only a head coach, but your coordinators as well, being able to help those players in their development. I think he's done a really good job there. Uh, he, he also uses his defensive players very creatively. Like you see Darius Leonard who pass rushes, he's in coverage and he uses um, certain players on that defense very creatively, which I think is very important. You normally hear about that more on offense as an offensive coordinator, being really creative with your players. But I think he does a really good job at doing that uh, as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, he, he was on my short list. I think he's, he, he's a phenomenal uh, defensive coordinator and you know like you said you're right you rarely see defensive coordinators be creative and especially in that cold system that cold system is very creative and, and they find ways to utilize i guess uh not the best players in the world but you know they're oh, don't they're, knock don't knock their talent now they got some good fucking players in that cold defense maybe not when he got there in 2017 but they just traded for deforest buckner uh they got darius leonard who's i love Darius Leonard. Uh, One of the best players in football, probably the most underrated player in football. Like Darius Leonard's a beast. He, he can cover, he can rush. Like he's a game changer on defense. And yeah, he's one of my favorite players in football, actually. You know, it, it was so funny listening to like going back on his draft coverage because people hated that. They took him really yeah. early in the second round and people hated that pick. And man, has that ever turned out for them. Well, uh, let's move on to one of you guys unless you have some more points here Adam. yeah i i can give it on um i this is the only one i did take a head coach to be my other coordinator i took robert sala um willie's not a robert sala fan which i don't get because he implemented that entire scheme in san fran that transformed that defense um so my decision criteria was a leader as well someone that's not going to butt heads with brian flores who's going to be a strong culture guy players love playing for and also has success at the defensive play calling level. So let's look at Robert Sala came in 2017 to be the defensive coordinator for the Niners. In 2017, they had the ninth best total defense, 20 points per game. 2018th was a 13th in yards, 20th in points. But then we look at 2019 and 2020, what he did with that defense. Second in yards in 2019, fifth in points per game. In 2020, with all those injuries, he had the fifth best defense in the NFL. So it speaks for itself, great culture, and one of the best defensive lines in football. Yeah, if I had Fred Warner, Richard Sherman, Quan Alexander, but they didn't. They were injured. They didn't. They were so injured this year. They were still so good. So I don't think the talent argument applies. Yeah, there's everyone was injured. Nick Bosa tore his ACL the first game of the year, and Nick Bosa coming in was a rookie too. And when he came in 2017, 2016, their defense was not good, and he transformed in one year to the ninth best defense in the NFL. And he implemented the scheme by himself. It wasn't anything to do with the 49ers. Where does he come from before the 49ers? I looked at it. I'll look right now, but uh, we, I'll, I'll look at I, I know this and I, I can't even think yeah. about it right now, but like, I love a coach like him who's so passionate. Like you see a guy like him and a guy like Sean McVay where they have to 
have a coach literally pull them off the field. That's how passionate they are for the game. I want a guy who loves the game so much, you know, is going to put in that work to scheme and help his players succeed as much as they can. Yeah, he came from the Jaguars. He's a linebackers coach from 2014 to 2016. And that was the year left was when the Jags had the best defense in the league when they had that, super, that, that playoff run, at least. Interesting. We'll see. We'll see. Like, the, the, definitely, man. Like, I might have to eat my words. We'll see how, how the Jets defense plays this year. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Um, my defensive coordinator. Well, so, when I was going over the, the, my list of players, my list of, sorry, coaches, um, I, I was very close to picking Vic Fangio because I, I love his, his style of uh, love Vic Fangio. Big, yeah. yeah, I'm a big Vic, Vic Fangio guy. He's on the hot seat, though. Like, he's he, he's on the hot seat this year. He's definitely a better defensive coordinator than a head coach. And, like, it yeah. is what it is. Like, like some people are better than that. I think he's that. actually underrated as a head coach, too. But, I think he's just on the hot seat because the Broncos had such a high expectation this year, and they just didn't. I know that's yeah, part but... of Drew Locke, but we'll get into that another day. So the guy I picked is um, Brandon Staley who is the newly hired Los Angeles Chargers head coach. He was a defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams last year. Um, and he comes from the Vic Fangio tree uh, with the Hughes with the Chicago Bears 2017, Denver Broncos in 2019 as their uh, outside linebackers coach. Um, you watch them last year. They're very innovative on defense. Um, you know, they're, 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 he clearly did a good job if he's hired as a Los Angeles Chargers head coach. So I would love to him on my on my team as my defensive coordinator, young guy, um, work with Sean McVay. He's an intelligent person out of everything I've heard. He's a sponge to the game, which is critical to me. So yeah, Brandon Staley, that's my guy. That's who I'm hiring. So right now I got Bill Belichick, Brandon Staley. Yeah. I, I love that hire. It just shows how good of a coach and how good of a communicator he is. Cause everyone go into that, that charge that if you thought Brian DeBool is the obvious option or they're going to pair an offensive mile with Justin Herbert, but they took a different approach and took a defensive guy in Brandon Staley. So it just shows how good he actually is because I, I feel like the Chargers should have won an OC, someone like that, to pair with Justin Herbert, but it just shows how good um, Brandon Staley is as a coach and a, a communicator as well. well. One thing, sorry, I just kind of want to bring this up a little bit, sidetrack. So I noticed uh, for BMAX, both his offensive, sorry, both his head coaches were offensive-minded head coaches. Mine was a defensive-minded head coach, um, and Bill Belichick and Boyes. Yours was a defensive-minded head coach, and Brian Flores. How much weight do you put on that, and what are your thoughts on on hiring that? Yes. So the the saying normally is, uh, "Offense sells tickets, defense wins championships." Right. I don't think that's the case anymore. Like I remember, I did a study in in grade twelve. Uh, where I looked at offensive and defensive DVOA, which is pretty much how good is your offense or defense and what that does to your team winning a championship and winning games. And I actually found that your offense matters more than your defense. If you're going to win a championship, like that's kind of an old saying Like you look at all these teams now that are winning Super Bowls, like the chiefs, the bucks now, you, you can't knock the Bucks defense. That might have been the reason they, they won. But there's not that many teams in the past 10 years that have won through their defense. You think the Broncos when yeah. Peyton Manning was in the twilight of his career. But that's a bit of a unicorn. Like the Broncos, that defense was ridiculously good. So good. If, you have a, if you have a defense that good, like you're, you're going to win. But I think offense matters more than defense at this time. So interesting. I'd rather an offensive guy. Boys, your thoughts? I mean, it, it all depends, to be honest. Like, 
Um, if you're going to pick a head coach, I think if you're going to go an offensive guy, I think that's the guy who's going to call plays. And if you're going to go a defensive guy, I would rather go a leader over just a def- straight defensive mind rather like a Vic Fangio. I'm not sure how big of a leader it, leader he is. I don't know enough about him. He could be a phenomenal leader, but he was straight defense. Um, so, but someone like Brian Flores, Robert Sala are great motivators, great leaders who also have that offensive mind as well. But if it's just a straight defensive guy, I'd rather go someone like a Sean McFace, someone like a Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, that's also just like when I'm talking, I'm, I'm not just going to, only hire offensive guys as my head coach like if i'm in the hiring process and i'm gonna look at defensive guys too like there's a lot of defensive head coaches that have been very successful but if i'm picking the one best head coach in the nfl i'm probably gonna go offense most of the time now you look at guys like bill belichick very tempting but uh i think offense is what's gonna win you championships in the next 10 years Unless you're Dave a gentleman and you say, fuck that, let's hire a special teams no, coordinator. Well, well, special, <laughs> motivator. Special teams, special teams coordinators are also like, I think very underrated as, as head coach hires. Like you look at, I think Harbaugh was a special teams guy. He's turned out pretty fucking good for the Ravens. Like, yeah. And I'm also, for some reason, I thought Belichick was a special teams guy at the start. No. Well, like one thing. Yeah. He, well, yeah. well, he's a bit of a mix. So. He, he, he had a really interesting upbringing. Like he, he bounced around everywhere, but one thing about special teams coordinators is they can kind of talk to everyone on the field. Right. Cause on the special yeah. teams, you're dealing with offense and defense where if you have a offensive mind head coach, like he knows offense, but he doesn't know how to communicate with defense. Not necessarily, you know? So that's one thing I, I love about, and you see that with Joe judge. I, I love Joe judge, man. Great <laughs> that's coach. my guy. That's my guy. He's so. a motivator, great culture, and you lead the X and O's to your defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham and OC and Jason Garrett. So he sets back, but he just a, a figure to motivate his team and just players love playing for him, just like the Brian Flores argument I was making as well. Fucking Jason Garrett. Anyways. Yeah, he's he's not a good OC in my opinion, but you know. Offensive coordinator. What's uh, what's the word, boys? Who wants to go first? Yeah, I can start it off. Um so yeah, I took a, a co-OC approach just because the Dolphins hired co-OCs and thought it'd be kind of fun to go through this. So um, I wanted to go a run game coordinator and a pass game coordinator to pair them together. So my criteria for this was youth, experience, calling plays, someone who's going to have a motion offense and stems from a good coaching trees. So for my first co-OC in the field of position, the run game coordinator, I'm going to take newly 49ers OC Mike McDaniel. Fucking bastard. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. If people don't know who Mike McDaniel is, he's an absolute genius. Many believe he's the reason he's behind the success of the run game in the 49ers. Mike McDaniel uh, constructed a lot of the plays. Kyle Shanahan Shanahan said in the press conference, led the number two Russian attack in the league in 2019. And here's a few quotes on 49ers players and ex-players. This one from Kyle Jujusic, who's a fullback on the 49ers. He said, I bet every dollar in my bank account that no other candidate understands offensive football the way he does. Mike McDaniel is a genius. He, he's a graduate from Yale, never played football, but he's just a genius in the game. And if he had five interviews for OC and head coaching jobs this year and he runs a motion offense. So if I hire a co-OC, I think Mike McDaniel is a genius and I would love him as my run game slash co-OC. You like that, yeah, Willie? Yeah. 100%, 100% <laughs> agree there. Um, not as familiar with him as you guys are. Um, but if Kyle Shanahan's hiring this guy, must be pretty good. Fucking boyas, man. That's why I wanted to go first because when we were talking before, I'm like, you definitely have Mike McDaniel as one of your OCs. <laughs> yeah, like, so Mike McDaniel's, um, he got coached by, or he 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 worked under Mike Shanahan 
Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan again, Mike Pettin, Dan Quinn, and now Kyle Shanahan. Like, talk about a fucking coaching tree. Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, apparently, like, the quotes on, on this kid's absolutely brilliant. Like, you have guys like Pierre Garçon saying he's probably the smartest position coach I've ever played for. Um, he, he does, uh, you know, got Gary Kubiak saying all these amazing things. Um, saying I'm surprised he's not higher away from the 49ers. So he, I'm, I'm excited, man. Like, like yeah. he, he's a guy where I think the 49ers, I'm excited to see what he's going to do, especially if they get to Sean Watson. Um, wow. Yeah. That, that, that would be incredible. But I think he's, he's a name that when people are going to look back at this podcast in three years, you're like, Holy fuck. How'd you guys know? <laughs> Who, who's uh, who's your passing game coordinator? Uh, so yeah, my co-OC for my past game coordinator didn't go in OC. If I want a quarterback coach, I my decision criteria again, um, uh, experience calling plays, stands from a good coaching tree, and has a good relationship with the quarterback, and also is an ex-QB in the league. That's no longer than Mike Kafka, who's a quarterback coach, the Kansas City Chiefs. Mike Kafka is 32 years old. He's an ex-Philadelphia Eagles QB, and he's the guy Patrick Mahomes reports to every day at practice. Mike Kafka got a lot of OC job interviews and as well head coach interviews this year. Patrick Mahomes raised about him, said Mike Kafka is one of the best coaches I've ever played for. He's a genius and he's someone who's going to take the next jump. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's the head coach at the end of the next year. I'll let you go next, Willie, so I don't take another one of you guys. Yeah, for fuck's sake. So Mike McDaniels was my guy for offensive coordinator. Uh, say a little case here. So I had Bill Belichick, Joe Staley, and, and Mike McDaniels. I had Bill Belichick as kind of like my head guy. And then, you know, you have the innovative guys of Mike McDaniels and Joe Staley. But um, on my list here, I have Matt LaFleur, Greg Roman, and Eric Bieniemy as well. Um, Greg Roman fucking kills me. Like, if, if you go back to the playbook of the Ravens this year, they play this one concept. And they pretty much ran the same concept, like, 50% of the time they would just do little tweaks. He's an absolute genius when it comes to offensive play calls. So I like him, but I'm going to pick uh, my offensive coordinator as Brian Dable, who in 2017, up to 2017, he was uh offensive coordinator for Alabama Crimson Tide is currently the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Um, one of the biggest things is Josh Allen's development. Um, you know, when, when, when you're scouting a QB, the, the, the consensus is normally you can't fix a guy's accuracy. It just, it can't be done. You know, you, you can fix a guy's speed. You, you can do different stuff, but accuracy you can't do. And, and, you know, with, with, while working with Brian Dable, he was able to do that. So um, I like his offense. He runs some pretty good schemes, especially deep downfield. Uh, I think he needs a little bit of work on his running game uh, schematically. So that's where you can kind of hire like a, you know, a guy uh, from the Kyle, uh, Kyle Shanahan system or the Mike Shanahan system to kind of do your uh, running back or, or running game um, coordination. But Brian Dable is my guy. Thoughts? Yeah, again, the big thing for me is Josh Allen's development. Like you see what, how he developed Josh Allen. And I don't know. I don't know that many people could have done that with Josh Allen. Like, I'm not the biggest Josh Allen guy. Now, I, I will admit he has all the physical tools, but uh, Brian Dable, man, like, great coach. Yeah, I, I love Brian Dable. He's a offensive genius, and just, yeah, what he did with Josh Allen this year, transformed him into an MVP candidate, a top-five quarterback in the league, was astonishing. A lot of that's on Josh Allen, too, but a lot's got to be attributed to Brian Dable and his, his development of Josh Allen as a QB. 
All right, so we can uh, move on to my offensive coordinator, and this will be the last one here. Uh, Willie mentioned him briefly, and that's Greg Roman. Uh, Let's go back a little bit in his history here. So 2009, he was at Stanford under Jim Harbaugh. He was a finalist for the Broyles Award as the top assistant coach in college football. And then in 2011, he moves to the 49ers with Harbaugh. He stayed there till 2014. Those were Kaepernick's best years by far. And you see kind of when Greg Roman leaves, that's where Kaepernick kind of falls off a cliff there. 2015 to 2016, he's with the Buffalo Bills. Those are the Shady McCoy years where that was the best running game in the league during that period. Now he did get fired uh, pretty early on. Um, but he did make fucking Tyrod Taylor look so good. And that offense kind of fell off a cliff after he left. He was kind of a scapegoat there. Then in 2017, a little bit of a reclamation project. He gets hired by the Baltimore Ravens as an offensive assistant. Uh, 2019, he gets given that offensive coordinator job. And you look at Lamar just explode onto the scene after not looking great as a rookie. He he built this offense based on Lamar's strengths. And that's one of the things I think he does really good is he'll build an offense based on his player's strengths and does it really creatively. Like you look at that Ravens offense, there's not many people that could create that scheme and make it so creative um, doing all these read options with, with Lamar Jackson and letting him run all over the field. Uh, so he's my offensive coordinator. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck he doesn't have a job as a head coach. Yeah, yet. we talked about this on, on a couple a episodes earlier where I, I can't believe he's gotten passed up. Like, he's not even getting, like, that many interviews. It gets me, like, it, th- th- that's one of the few conversations. That, him and Eric Bieniemy. if you really want to get me fucking angry and, like, get my blood pressure going, how those fucking guys don't have jobs as head coaches doesn't make, like, how the Cincinnati Bengals have fucking Zach Taylor. You have Eric Bieniemy, you have Brian Dable, and you have Greg Roman available. Why the fuck aren't you calling this guy up? I doesn't doesn't make any sense. But my one thing why I didn't pick him as as my number one guy is is if you kind of go back to the teams that he was offensive coordinator for and where he really excels is teams that are um have a really mobile quarterback and a, a de- decent run game. So. I think that if you have a guy who's stationary, for example, if you have Big Ben, I don't think his schemes are going to be as good. Like I talked about, he runs the same scheme half the time. So you kind of need, you know, position group. But if you do have that, fucking watch out because, you know, look at the Baltimore Ravens, absolute beast. Yeah, that is, that is a big thing where he's had a lot of mobile quarterbacks, but you also haven't seen, you haven't been able to see him what he can do with other quarterbacks. I think he's a really good guy at playing to his players' strengths. And I think if you saw him, with maybe a big Ben who, who's just going to sit in the pocket, he'd be really good as well. Uh, I'll let you jump in here, Adam. Yeah, I uh, can't say enough good things about Roman. He, yeah, like Will, I don't know how he has got passed up in like three years of head coaching interviews. He's a genius. He's transformed that Ravens offense to one of the most dangerous offense in the league, containing what Lamar Jackson can do. I think a lot is attributed to Roman. So, yeah, 100% agree with that. Um, Roman's someone I was considering too, but don't know how he's got a head has he not he's not a head coach it's flustering and confusing him with behind me well like okay honestly like like i'm actually asking why do you think that is why does zach taylor have a job and eric Bieniemy and greg remy don't have jobs it's it's because people are trying to find the next sean McVay, and that's what's going to take they're hiring younger guys who are 30 30 years old who came from that that's why 
Zach Taylor is hired because of the success Sean McVay had, and they tried to find the next Sean McVay. I think that's the only logical explanation is people are tr- – someone like Cliff Kingsbury don't know how he got a head coaching job. I'm not a Cliff Kingsbury guy. He came from Texas Tech, who didn't have that good of an offense with Patrick Mahomes, their quarterback. Um, he, like Patrick Mahomes is good in college, but, yeah, I'm not – so it, I think it's people trying to find the next Sean McVay, and that's why older people like behind me and Roman, who've had success at all levels, are getting passed up. So you're seeing all the Joe Brady talk right now. He's off the coordinator yeah. uh, for the Carolina Panthers. He's, everyone loves this guy and they want him to be a, a next head coach while older guys like Greg Roman are getting passed up. Now I think Joe Brady would be a great hire for any team. I think he could be one of those next Sean McVay's. Um, but yeah, he, he was that LSU offensive coordinator when Burrow had that, maybe the best offensive QB in college football. So yeah it's stunning i don't like it but it is what it is all right so uh that's all the talk we have on our main discussion so we're going to transform into our draft talk today we are doing the cornerback position group which is a very talented group could see upwards of five taking the first round um so without further ado i'm gonna list off my top five and then uh we can get discussing about your list as well so number one i've killed farley really close between him and patrick certain but I give Farley the edge because of his length, because of his athleticism. And like I said, Sertain at two, JC Horn at three, Eric Stokes at four, and Greg Newsom at five. Yeah, I pretty much have the same list as you. Um, well, kind of, no. I, I have Sertain number one, Farley number two, Horn number three, Newsom number four, and Stokes number five. Yes, yeah, so I don't even have Stokes in my top six. Um, but my list goes Farley one, Sertain two, Horn three, which is pretty chalky. That's what most people have. Now Willie has Sertain at one. But uh, then I go Asante Samuel Jr. at four. Now he is more of a guy who's probably going to play in the slot at the next league, at, at the next level in the NFL. And then Greg Newsom, number five. All right. So let's just talk about Eric Stokes because uh, that's probably the most recent development in the nfl draft prospect pool here in a 428 at brandon marshall's combine which is unheard of at a cornerback so really want you give your thoughts about him and uh bmac why don't have him in the top five as well yeah like so how tall is he he's six three six three yeah he, he he he's a guy you know he's speedy um he can play in the slot he can play on outside um i don't know how well he would hold up on an island i think that's uh something uh, uh, that's way to be seen at the next level. However, um, you know, he's got a good vert. Uh, yeah. I, like he, he's an interesting player and that I'd like to see go in the second round. Um, I'd feel confident drafting him as a second round, you know, day two cornerback. Um, uh, yeah. I, nothing really ne- too negative to say about him. He, he's a physical freak. He killed it. He killed his pro day. Um, other than that, you know, his film, his film pops off the tape. So yeah. Yeah, see, see, for me, like, maybe I just haven't looked at him enough. I just think these other guys are definitely safer picks. Like, but if you look at him, he's got 428 speed. Like, at the next level, having makeup speed like that is going to be huge. I just like guys like Asante Samuel and Greg Newsome. Tyson Campbell is my number six um, cornerback a little bit more. I think they're a little more technically sound at the cornerback position and sa- just safer picks. Uh, but I, I like him too. So uh, he's yeah, my he's my, he's I, my number seven. I think he's like a boomer bust. He's freak athlete, but he lacks a bit of technique, but um, yeah, I like him just because of his athletic ability and the fact that he could transform 
him to a number one corner. But let's get into that Farley-Sertain conversation. They're the number one and two cornerbacks by far, but everyone's going to flip-flop them. So, Willie, why don't you say why you have Sertain over Farley? Yeah, Sertain technically is better. Um, you know, he, he's definitely he's a bigger guy. He's slower than Farley. When I watched the tape, honestly, it's he didn't make a single mistake in the games I watched. Um, you know, he he's a guy that I think you can put on a number one player like Hopkins and he can blow with him. Now, Farley, I honestly think flip of a coin um, between between Sertain and Farley. I think Farley's going to do very, very well at the next level as well. Phenomenal speed. I was watching this one one tape where uh, ball's thrown, about to uh, enter the wide receiver's hands and, you know, he Farley comes out of nowhere and, and knocks the ball away. He's got great speed uh, explosion in his first two steps. Um and technique wise, he's also fundamentally great. So that that's kind of you know it very interchangeably between one of the two. Yeah, I'm I'm actually thinking of moving Sertain above Farley now. Now that I just thinking about it right now, like he is much not much better, but he's definitely the better technic more technically sound than Farley. Uh, he's also started since he was a freshman after being a five-star recruit and he's been good every single season. Like he was an all on the all freshman team as a freshman. And now I think, was he an all American this year? I'm pretty sure he was. He's not the athlete that Farley is and he may not have quite the amount of potential, but he's going to be great. I think he's a safer pick than Farley. I think he's certain going to be great in the league. Yeah. Certain is going to come in and be, I think a good corner. I know rookie cornerback struggle, but his tape shows for himself his success at Alabama, which is one of the best universities ever in college football history, but it speaks for himself and Sertain's going to come in. I just have Farley above there just because I like his athleticism a bit more. I think Sertain's a bit more technically sound, but at the NFL level, you need athleticism to deal with athletic freaks like at the receiver position. Um, Sorry, quick question. Just so I can stop you right now. Um, I know for like defensive line, where the player comes from is pretty important. I know for wide receiver, where the player comes from, for example, you know, Alabama wide receivers are pretty solid. Same with LSU and um, Alabama defensive linemen are fucking studs. Just look at Washington football team. But how important is uh, the system in which they come from for cornerback to you guys? It's not all that important. Now, obviously, like you get guys from a reputable program like Bama. That's obviously maybe helps them a little bit but you, you just look at the players evaluate their talent now playing at bama maybe you have a little bit more experience with nfl type schemes which is nicer but uh, i think you just take the most talented guy looking at them on tape yeah i don't think it really matters to be honest when you think of a dbu like that conversation you got lsu in there you got ohio state and alabama i don't think it really matters the scheme they come from, like BMAC said, it's going to be a bit more important because you're playing more in NFL level schemes than you were at a lower tier school. I think that's the only difference depending how complex your scheme is because NFL defenses are so much more complex. But if you play at Alabama, you get a taste of a an NFL system because Nick Saban's been at that level for a couple of years. Also, also a little bit of a, a fun fact for you guys. Sertain um, played with my number six corner, Tyson Campbell, in high school. Both five-star recruits and i was listening to an interview of certain pretty much saying like no one threw at them in high school like their, their defense like they just tossed them on the outside and then everyone else playing run defense pretty much like you you couldn't throw on these guys imagine having two five-star recruits and now two possible first round picks in the nfl draft in the same year 
with a high school quarterback throwing to That's fucked. Like, how the fuck does that? I'm going to throw another little conversation out here. So a guy who's dropped off the board this year, he came in as a top, a consensus top first round pick. Honestly, consensus top 10 pick with Sean Wade. He kind of fall off the cliff this year. So Sean Wade, really, do you like him as a prospect? Do you not? Oh, we'll go around. Yeah. Um, when I watched film on Sean Wade, I was unimpressed to, to, to the nth level. Um, I wouldn't draft. I, I take Sean Wade off my draft board, period. I, I wouldn't even consider the thought of drafting him unless it was the fucking seventh round and, you know, it's just a flyer pick. But the, no, that, and I, I know you're making that face right now, but I, I, w- one of the biggest things to me is compete. And when I was watching his film, he I, I found he didn't have a high level of compete. When the play was done or the play was at the other end of the field, he wouldn't run. He would just like walk gingerly, you know, just walk, walk into the ball, you know, whatever if, if, if that's what you want your culture to be personally i don't want to build my culture like that um he also you know he, he made a decent amount of mistakes uh in the film that i watched him you know fundamentally he's not the best i'm not big on sean wade at all again you know maybe but but it, it, it's tricky right like maybe mentally he was going through some difficult stuff right you never know what someone's going on in their personal life it's during covid uh, they might be suffering through some psychological problems, which everyone does, right? So, but just based on the film that I've seen, I would not drop Sean Wade. Yeah, so my thoughts kind of mirror that of Willie's where I don't like having a guy who doesn't quite have that effort level. But then again, like this was a crazy year. Like you got to give him a break. Maybe like, I think he's a lottery ticket. Like he came into this year looking like he might be like a top 10 pick. So if maybe some of those effort concerns and technical concerns were caused by just the craziness that was going on with this year with COVID and the, and the college football situation. So he's a lottery ticket might be really good. You never know. Yeah. I, if I'm a team, I would take him the second round just because of, I don't think he's a boundary corner, but when you look at what he did a year ago with, played in the slot he was one of the best slot cornerbacks in college football last not last year the year before with Jeffrey Okuda playing on the boundary so he's a very very good slot corner and teams take slot corners in the late first or like second round so like Noah Gavanaogany to the Dolphins last year was a slot corner so I don't think he's a boundary corner he's too small he's not big enough but I think he's going to be a good good slot corner as his tape showed a year ago what he did is the best slot corner in college football when I was watching him, it kind of reminds me of Dylan Moses a little bit. Same thing with the whole compete thing. Like, you saw Dylan Moses have a has like a monster drop in the in the draft. Same with Sean Wade. So, I, I guess taking him off my big boards a bit extreme. I don't think I do that. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack on that statement. But yeah, um, that's kind of my thoughts on him. All right, before we wrap it up, I'm going to put Greg Newsom's name out there because he just jumped on my big board about two weeks ago and Willie's like, this guy's freaking good. So I, I went and watched tape on him. He's very, very talented, super fast, super rangy, can play all over the field as a cornerback. So uh, I love Greg Newsom, but we'll hear your thoughts. I love Greg Newsom, Absolute beast. Reminds me of Sean Murphy Bunting. Um, what Sean Murphy Bunting did to Tyreek Hill in the Super Bowl, uh, in the Super Bowl was, you know, he he locked him down pretty solidly. So when when you have a corner that's big that can run like that, like I, I'm big on Greg Newsom. I I want to see his name called in the first first round. Um, I I love cornerbacks, man. Like 
Give me cornerbacks all day in the first round. Yeah, well, one thing with Greg Newsom too is he did have a little bit of penalty trouble in college. He had 15 career penalties, most of those being uh, pass interference. So he can get a bit grabby out there, but if you get a good coach and coach him up and make sure he doesn't do that at the NFL level, like he's got the traits to be an elite NFL cornerback. So, um, Guy that we haven't mentioned yet is J.C. Horn. Son um, of four-time pro bowler, Joe Horn. Really? Yeah, all certain Horn and Asante Samuel Jr.'s dads all played in the NFL. Yeah. At elite levels too. See that see, I brought this up the other day. That's big for me, man. Yeah. That's especially if your dad was kind of like the man on his team. You know what I mean? Like, okay, for example, when you talk about um who who's the left tackle on, on the Rams? Uh Whitworth. Oh, Whitworth? Yeah. Yeah. Let, let, let's say like Whitworth's son. Like I knew Whitworth is the man. Like Whitworth is a fucking stud. Like I know like he's gonna raise this kid properly. And you know, so if that's if that's your dad, like I wouldn't mind taking him in the first round. You know where he comes from, you know he's a good kid. As well. Lineage isn't a huge, huge thing for me, but then then again, you also see like TJ Watt coming out. Everyone's like, Oh, he's not gonna be JJ, and then everyone pretty fucking good tj watt um but yeah i don't really care about lineage too too much i'm more just evaluate the player uh without that but again if you have a stud dad raising you who knows how to play at an elite level and gives you these tips that's a huge advantage as a player steph curry (laughs) uh yeah, I mean, lineage is a great way to go because they, they teach you the ins and outs that you can't learn in the college level how to succeed at the NFL level. So, yeah, lineage is a big thing as well. So, J.C. Horn was probably the best corner in football this year in the college level. But uh, he's, he's physical at the line. Like, yeah. I don't know if you've guys seen the highlight of him absolutely manhandling Kyle Pitts, who's six foot six. Like, yeah. he just presses him at the line and knocks him on his ass. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> He's one of the guys I think in this draft when we look back in a couple of years who might be like top five best players out, out of this draft. I think he has that type of ceiling. And I think also think he, he's a pretty uh, high floor as well. So, well, the, the one thing that worries me a little bit about him is he's so like physical in, in press coverage, but then you see a lot of the tackling. Like he's not a great tackler. Um, at, at least he wasn't at the college level. So that kind of concerns me where he's such a physical cornerback and press coverage yet is not a very good tackle tackler which is kind of confusing to me uh, i thought those traits would be correlated but i guess not yeah One more. Oh, sorry. Go, go go. um i was uh that's all the talk i have for draft talk but unless you want to say something before we move to the two minute warning i, I got that covered today yeah w- w- one more uh we might have to do two two minute warnings today because i got a good uh cornerback themed one too i so, i got a you got a cornerback i I we'll have a QB first. We'll do yours first, and then we'll do mine after. How I just have I have a QB draft one. So, but if you have a cornerback one, we can do both of them. But Willie, what what would you like to say before we? Yeah, move on? one more cornerback that I want to talk to you about was um Israel Makuma. Um, yeah, uh, well, I haven't watched film on him yet. I know you told me to, but Very tell good. the audience what your thoughts on this kid is. Yeah, um, lengthy, lengthy corner, six four arms are huge. The one game that's popped out for me was last year when they played Georgia. He, Jake Fromm wasn't, was good at the college level and he forced three turnovers from Jake Fromm that game, three picks by himself. He's a rangy, rangy corner, huge arms, huge length, and length's a big thing. Look at Jalen Ramsey, he's got a lot of length. So, yeah, really rangy, lengthy corner that 
is very physical at the, the line of scrimmage. No, no, this is the guy whose brother went to Oakland a couple of years ago and tore up the combine, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, you saw his brother who, who didn't really turn out too well. A lot of that I will attribute to the Oakland Raiders being not the best organization, in my opinion. Uh, they they kind of messed up his development a little bit, but you saw his brother who was just an athletic freak at the combine. Tearing, like, I would love to pull up this guy's numbers again. Like, he was a freak, and I'm sure his brother is too. So, uh, I'm excited for him. Yeah, Dope. so... That is all the talk we have the draft talk. So we have reached our two-minute warning. B-Max kind of the reigning champion at this. So we'll see if I can stump him here. I, I took me down. Oh, he did? Yeah, so, he did. Yeah. But, um, uh, I've been killing you guys when we don't have guests. So uh, All right. So I have a draft theme uh, with the NFL prospects, a QB theme. So we'll uh, be a conversation competition between Willie and B-Max. So the question is, in 2010 to 2020, there were th- um, three different drafts where QBs went one and two. So with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson probably going one and two this year, can you name those six quarterbacks that went one and two in the drafts? I've got four at least. Um, I thought there's only three. So no, like, like three no, different like, drafts. Like two, two different drafts yeah. in my head right so now. There's, so there's you, got six... Jameis, you got Jameis Mariota, yep. and then you got Goff Wentz. There's one more, Willie. I'm trying to think of the other one here. Can you take the crown? It's not the Cam Newton draft because Vaughn Miller went two. Um, it's, oh, oh, it's Baker and Darnold, no? Oh, Darnold. No, 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 Darnold went three. Darnold went three. Darnold yeah. went three. Saquon went two. Um, oh, God. Who's the other one? Well, just, what, was, what was the Sam Bradford draft? Uh, it wasn't Sam Bradford. You do that. Oh. Um, that was 2010, I think. Yeah, that was 20. Oh. There's one more. I, I can't. I stump you or <laughs> three, two, one. Who is, Who it? is it? It is Andrew Luck and RG3. Oh fuck me. They're both out of the they're league. Both out like, of the league. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even I'm trying to think of guys in the league right now because they're all gonna be like decently young at least. Holy I forgot about that, man. 2012. Yeah. What a draft. Russ has end up ended up being the best out of them so yeah <laughs> um bmac why don't you take us away for the two-minute warning all right so i have a cornerback themed question to go along with our uh position group that we're evaluating i got two questions here so who had the most interceptions in the nfl during the 2010s mark that mark is not, not including this past year so that's 2010 to um 2019 marcus peters that was my first uh, thought as well, and it's incorrect. He's saving Howard. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Twenty tens, twenty tens. Hey, hey, hey! That's two like, guesses. Th- these guys came in the league in like 2016, 2017. So you got to think of someone who played a little longer. Why am I blanking on this guy's name? Okay, can I describe him to you? <laughs> sure. If you, if you have to describe him to me, I don't Kate, think he's the a- right answer. Arizona Cardinals corner. What's his name? Peterson. Pat no Pete, Pat, Pat Pete, and it's not Pat Pete. No, I, think who, who has been the best NFL cornerback in the 2010s? It's it's not very hard. I can't. Do you need me to give you a hint? Go for it. You stumped me. I can't. Legion of Boom. 
Oh, Richard, oh, Richard Sherman. Sherman. Richard fucking Sherman. Come on, boys. I was gonna, I was gonna say Richard Sherman, but like, I wasn't sure if he was like a ball hawk. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. He, he hasn't been as much lately, but yeah. in his early career, he was like leading the league in interceptions. Like Marcus Peters and Howard got to be close because they have like twenty three no, picks they, in like they, four years. They are very close. They just yeah. haven't had the like they haven't played. I think when did Peters come in? 2015, 2016, and then Howard. Is, came into league so, yeah 2016 as well yeah uh, but peters peters was my first guess when i was thinking of this question um let's move on to another kind of related question who had the most single season ints in the 2010s you say uh, howard that's, that's not including this past year because that's that was 2020 2020 uh so he, he had 10 which would have been the top uh, i'm gonna go marcus so, peters i think he had eight or nine that's a very good guess but not it does it have to be a corner? It doesn't have to be a corner, but it is a corner. It's actually two corners tied. Yeah. One, they're, they're, like I honestly don't expect you guys to get this at all, so I'll go. Do you remember who led the league in interceptions in 2019? Played for the New Orleans Saints at the time. Has played for the New York Giants. Oh, Eli Apple. What? Okay. I was kidding. I was hoping you were kidding there. Holy fuck. Uh, oh my god. Oh, oh J- Jenkins. Jenkins. Norris Jenkins is one of them. The rabbit. You're not going to get the other one, so I'll just give it to you. It's Tim Jennings in 2012. Both had nine interceptions. Yeah, I didn't even fucking know who Tim Jennings was. I, I, I had to Google him because I wasn't too into football back then. I would have only been 12 years old. So the Jack Rabbit, eh? But the Jack Rabbit, I, I was like, I didn't think he had that great of a season recently but i guess i guess he did um and then shout out to asante samuel jr's dad who had seven in 2010 jeez i was gonna say say charles woodson because i thought he had like a he played like early 2010s and he had a shit ton of interceptions at one point yeah i think richard sherman's had like eight multiple times too he was close but not quite all right i think that uh wraps it up for us all right everyone oh go ahead willie before we go, just want to give one last shout out to Ernie Adams, the best, uh, the best NFL mind that you've never heard of. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Take it easy. The mirror's image tells me it's all.